This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. And it's the first Friday of the month, so we've got the pressure of a speaker's story, and our speaker tonight is Jill. I'm Jill, I'm an addictive eater. Hi, Jill. I've been for some reason quite anxious about sharing tonight. I wasn't quite sure where to start, so this afternoon I thought I'd just um, listen to a tape that might give me some inspiration. And the speaker was talking about letting go. And he said, you know, letting go in the program means letting go of old ideas which basically means letting go of ego. And it was just that simple. And um, it just got me thinking about, you know, how much my life has been governed by old ideas. And um, I remember when I first went to AA, there was a woman who always used to say, if I was so wrong about my drinking, maybe I was wrong about everything else. She used to say this over and over every time I heard her. And it had quite an impact on me. And, um, you know, as, as I was thinking about speaking tonight, you know, I just thought particularly uh, how my eating was just totally governed by old ideas. Um, you know, I, I have memories of the eating that go back to when I was two or three years old, um, stealing food and hiding food. And growing up, it's not quite the right word for <laughs> to describe my experiences, but as, as I uh, went through, you know, childhood and teenage years, you know, I had that very clear idea that my eating was caused by my awful parents, the awful town I grew up in, my awful brother and sister, the awful school I went to, the awful country I lived in, you know, it was absolutely, you know, I learned blame at such a young age. Everything was everyone else's fault and certainly the food was no exception to that. And I remember sort of as I got a bit older, um, I was going to say weeding, books like Fat as a Feminist Issue, but that book, I'm not sure whether it still sits on my bookshelf, it's, it did for a very long time, and I've still never read it, I know that. But I didn't need to, because <laughs> the name gave me the excuse. Um, you know, again, it was just all the fault of my upbringing and everything else. And, you know, that's how I live my life, just, just that refusal to take responsibility for anything. And I remember when I first came into the program, you know, that shock of, um, well, it took me a while to have any perception of what the steps are about, but when I finally did, you know, that, that shock of having to take responsibility for, for yourself, you know, because I very comfortably lived with everything being everyone else's fault. Um, you know, and I've often said, you know, there's nothing in this program that ever would have occurred to me as being a good idea. You know, I really was a, um, behaved like a spoiled little brat, and um, I remember 
remember my first sponsor used to say things, and I'd think, God, you sound just like my mother. You know, this is my much maligned mother who'd never done a thing for me. And, you know, I eventually realised, you know, after I had thought to myself many times, you sound just like my mother, it just occurred to me that my mother had probably tried to teach me all the sorts of things we learn in this programme, and I just didn't listen. I didn't listen to anyone. You know, I just, I, I remember particularly in my, you know, childhood and when I was at school, just, just um, charging through life and having no comprehension of why anything was like it was, um, what, why other people had friends and I didn't seem to, you know, how other people made friends. It was just all, life was just all totally baffling to me. And... You know, I believe now absolutely that I was born an addict and just that incapacity to learn from anything, anything anyone said or did, or even from my own experiences. I don't think I ever learned from anything. Um, and, you know, I spent my whole life being miserable and, um, yeah, just, just, and... You know, the eating sort of, I guess it sort of covered everything up. Um, you know, I don't for a moment think that's why I ate. You know, I'm really, really clear that the only reason I ate was that I was an addict. And, and I believe that if I had come from a family that was like Pollyanna's family, whatever Pollyanna's family's like, but I'm sure it was very happy, um, I would have invented reasons to be miserable. You know, it was just in me to be to be a, to be miserable and unhappy, and um, you know. So I ate, and um, I don't think eating made me happy. It just I don't know what it did. Anyway, anyway, I don't really think in a way it matters what it did, but it was certainly, you know, I just had to eat, and I remember sort of going into teenage years and. Um, you know, becoming more body conscious and wanting to have boyfriends and things like that and just, you know, seeing myself as this fat blob and, and just hating myself and um, just having no ability to, to control my eating. And, you know, and then I remember even more leaving home and, um, you know, the eating really took off and I can remember, you know, going home after my first term at university and I think I'd probably put on two or three stone in that first term, you know, just, it was, it was just insane, that's how it was, you know. And then, um, you know, it was very, drinking was very much part of my story. Um, you know, I have no doubts whatsoever about addiction swapping from one thing to another, and it was a very big part of my, my history the swapping between food and alcohol. And I always had this illusion that I could lose weight whenever I liked because when I, whenever I got into drinking, I would lose weight and I'd forget about eating. And then I'd lose my drinking buddies for one reason or another and I'd go back to eating. And my weight just went backwards and forwards like a yo-yo. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that, that old idea that I had that I had control over my eating it, you know, it fooled me for a lot of years. Um, and, 
you know, particularly um, I came to AA before I came to to Leading Fellowship and I remember particularly um, when I stopped eating, I just, and particularly even more so when I stopped smoking, I just ballooned and my eating had always been there as a problem all my life and suddenly I didn't have any other substances and it got really out of control and that's when I first started um, going to a 12-step program for, for food addiction and I spent quite a few years, you know, and I've seen people here, you know, who will come to a meeting, maybe two or three meetings and then go away again for six months and then come again and I was like that for, I don't know, maybe a period of about four years and I look back on that and I think how awful it was and, you know, I had no willingness to stop eating. But I wanted it to happen, you know. I, I had no willing to do, willingness to do anything about it. And I'd come to a few meetings um, and then I'd feel a bit better and I'd go away and about six months later I'd start to feel terrible. So I'd drag myself back to a meeting and think, oh my God, they're still talking about that again and I'd go away again. And, you know, I look back on that time and what a dreadful, miserable time it was. And... Um, you know, during all this, I had, I had moved to Christchurch, and um, you know, after probably two or three years here, I decided I'd, you know, give the program one last chance to prove itself to me, as I saw it, and I came to a meeting here, and you know, I've often shared this, you know, to see it was the first time I'd seen people in recovery from food addiction and, you know, it just amazed me. I mean, I've been to meetings, it may be that I just hadn't seen it, but um, certainly I saw it at this meeting and, you know, people were calm and there was nothing calm about my life. On the outside it might have looked alright, but inside I was this raging tornado all the time and uh, you know, I hated myself, I hated everybody else, I was very angry, um, I was always, you know, I used to wake up every morning and pray to be calm and peaceful and I'd get out the door and start yelling at people and, you know, it was just horrible, it wasn't, it wasn't just the food, it was absolutely the way I was as a person and I remember going to this meeting here and a lot of people who were at that meeting, you know, at this meeting tonight, quite a few, but at least half a dozen, and that was a long time ago, and uh, I just remember that calmness about them. I actually cannot remember anything anyone says, said, I remember all these smiling faces in the front row, <laughs> you know, I didn't appreciate those, don't no. wait stop grinning at me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do remember just that peace and calm about them. And I woke up every morning hating the world, and I went to bed at night every night hating the world. And I could just tell. I don't think it was what they said, it was just their manner. I could just tell that they didn't live like that, that they, that they didn't go out every night and every day and yell at people, that they didn't spend you know, go to the supermarket and have to grab every new thing that was going. And that wasn't the end of my eating, but it absolutely was the first time I had really had hope 
around the food. And I don't know, I think hope is an amazing word. It just sort of, it's, it's a little word, you know, and you know, say, oh, I hope you have a nice day, that sort of thing. It doesn't seem to mean anything. And yet, to me, it was, it was the biggest thing in the world to wait, you know, to leave that meeting and just think maybe there's hope for me. And it, you know, in the past, have been, you know, if those stupid people can do it, so can I. It wasn't like that at all. Um, it was just, you know, maybe this, you know, it was sort of, it was almost sort of in the war. It was maybe this could work for me. Um, and, you know, you might think that that could have been the end of my eating, but it absolutely wasn't. Um, I got a food plan and got a sponsor. Um, I tried to get them in that order, but <laughs> that didn't work. Um, I remember going up to somebody and saying, would you give me a food plan? And, um, you know, she just said, are you looking for a sponsor? And I thought, hell no. Um, and I was too frightened to say that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I started doing all the things in this program. I thought the food plan was wonderful. You know, it just it was all I really wanted. Um, and, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, that was my attitude. I, I just, I suppose I just wanted to be thin, you know, um, at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, also, I, I, I was aware of the obsession. I wanted to get rid of the obsession. obsession. But it was all about what I wanted. It, it, it wasn't... I don't know, I had no comprehension. I mean, even though I'd been in AA for quite a few years, I had no concept, really, of wanting spiritual growth. It was just I wanted, you know, me to be at peace and for people to like me. Um, and, you know, I started doing things. I paid a lot of lip service, I think, to this program. I got very involved in service. I had a food plan. Um, and that was a properly, you know, I rang people, rang the sponsor, and that was probably about the extent of what I did. And, um, you know, what happened for me was that I decided um, that my case was different and that I could do things that other people couldn't do. And I can remember things like uh, going to visit my parents and my mother couldn't cope with me preparing my own food. So I thought, well, their food's like my food anyway, so I'll just have what they have. And I remember thinking, I can't be bothered winning my sponsor and telling her about this pee that I dropped or whatever. Um, I don't need to do that sort of thing and um, you know what I and I remember at some stage I decided I needed supper so I just started having you know and what I didn't realize with all these things was that what was really happening was that I was giving myself permission to do what I liked and you know I had never I don't know that surrender hadn't happened and I remember my sponsor used to say um, you know, that this, this program is about surrender and it's about being desperate. And I knew I wanted it, but I wasn't desperate. And I thought, I don't know how to make myself desperate. Um, and I look back now and I think, you know, perhaps if I'd been a bit more honest, I might have got a bit more desperate. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm a very good example of how not to work this program. And it didn't work for me. And, you know, I thought I was I was working it, and 
I can read from my sponsor also used to say, you know, we don't get away with anything in this program. Um, I'm very grateful that she apparently hasn't had courts to say that for a while. And it used to make me run cold inside when she'd say that, because I knew I was being dishonest. Um, and I knew, you know, I knew I was deceiving her and I was deceiving me and I was deceiving a lot of other people. And that's how I have lived for a long time in this program, you know, and it's, um, it's just how it was, you know, it's just what it took um, for me to, I don't even like using the word surrender because I don't know, I mean certainly I'm not obsessed with the food and I'm not eating today and whether it constitutes surrender I don't know, but um, it took a lot of a lot of years of eating in this program to get to the stage of not being able to do that anymore. You know, I was always, I was sort of controlling it and trying to keep the lid on it. And I look back and I think how hard that was. I mean, you know, the burden that you carry when you're trying to put the lid on, on a pack of lies, um, it's just, it's just crazy, and I lived like that for many, many years. And I did, you know, eventually I got to the stage where I, did, where I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, and I remember my sponsor had said to me, she said, I imagine you're carrying a lot of secrets. And I thought, oh, I'd better tell her a few secrets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was my reaction. That's, you know, that's absolutely what I was like. And I just... You know, I just, a few days later I woke up and I just knew I couldn't do that anymore. And you know, a lot of people get to that stage when they first come into this program. You know, I've seen people like that the first day they come here and others who are like that a couple of months later. You know, for whatever reason, it, could, it took me a lot of years to get to that stage where um, I just couldn't live my own lives. And, and, you know, I, I had to talk about it and I had to tell her everything I'd done for all those years. And I didn't have a clue what to do about it. I didn't have a clue how to make amends. I just, I just, um, I just didn't know. And, you know, I look back now and I think, thank God I didn't know. I just didn't didn't have a clue in the world what to do about the whole situation. So, you know, I think that was probably... I mean, I had been in that position when I stopped drinking, and the ego had just... Um, you know, I guess the ego and the eating had just taken over again. So, you know, this was a lot of years later, and um, I feel really grateful now that I did finally reach that situation where... I just didn't have a clue what to do, you know, and, you know, I hope that's surrender, I don't know. Um, you know, in some ways I feel as though I've got self-will about other things, but I know I don't know about the food, you know. There's a lot of things I used to do eating, and I look back and I think, um, you know, I would hate to be doing that now, you know, all that deceit and... Um, you know, I used to call it substitution. <laughs> um, you know, I'd substitute my 
vegetables for meat and um, <laughs> other things like that. I just have double dose of meat instead of vegetables. You know, just, just heaps of things that I did. And I think, thank God I'm not doing that today. You know, I feel grateful, you know. And when I went to um, talk to her about what I've been doing, I didn't know, I had no idea what was going to happen next. And, you know, that desire to eat was removed. And it never occurred to me that that was what was going to happen. But it was, it just went. And it hasn't been back since. Um, you know, and, you know, I know what it is today to be free of the food, to not be trying to stop it, to not be trying to change things, to not want something interesting as a variety. You know, I always wanted something interesting. And I used to do a lot of travel and I used to think, oh, it's great to have a break from the food plan. I mean, I can't imagine thinking like that today. I absolutely cannot imagine thinking like that today. Um, you know, I went overseas a couple of years ago for, I don't know, six, eight weeks. And... You know, I absolutely stuck to my food plan every day and it was lovely, you know. I mean, I was sort of quite... I wasn't surprised that I would do it, but it was a pleasure to do that, you know, and it would not have occurred to me to do anything else. And, you know, the way it used to be that... Um, you know, that thinking I used to have around the food, I just can't imagine having that thinking today, and I can't imagine how awful it would be to have that thinking today, to want that variety. I mean, you know, I have the fuel that my body needs, and it works for me, and it's been working for me for, you know, for, for a few years, and I don't need anything else. And, um, you know, other areas of my life, um, you know, it's sort of... You know, I'm still me, I'm still an addict. Um, and I so need to be here. You know, I can get absorbed in myself. Um, you know, just that anxiety about speaking tonight. You know, it's just all, you know, it's all self, it's all ego. And, and I am sort of, you know, I can be selfish in so many ways and certainly self-centred. I'm probably not so much selfish with most people, you know. I've, you know, I've learned to behave well. And I want to, um, you know, I enjoy giving. I enjoy putting my needs aside and being there for other people, as long as it doesn't interfere with what I want to do. Um, but um, as far as self-centredness goes, you know, it's, it's there. You know, I'm really, I'm really clear I am not cured of addiction. I'm not cured of the desire to eat, but I do have a reprieve. But as far as self-centeredness goes, you know, this, that and me first thing is, is in me. You know, I mean, I live on my own and the number of tantrums I throw because I can't find something, you know. <laughs> Um, it's it's just crazy, you know, and if I hadn't learned good behaviour, I'd probably do it in front of other people as well. Um, I just want things to be there for me, you know. If I want something, I want it to be there. If I want somebody to ring at a certain time, I want them to ring. If I don't want them to ring at that time, I want them to ring at another time. You know, it's just totally, there's, you know, a big part of me that still wants life to suit myself and that's why I need to be in this programme, you know, it's why I need to be here at meetings, 
um, all the time because I need a curb on that. And I love coming to meetings and hearing people sharing about how they deal with life, about that that petty crap of life that we all have, you know. Um, if I wasn't here, I'd think that self-centeredness was terrible. I mean, I can wish my, I can wish that I wasn't totally self-centered, but I know that it's sort of what a lot of us have, and we come here and we get our medicine, and we, we, you know, I learn through listening to other people how they have dealt with similar problems, and I learn that they have got similar problems, and. Um, you know, I learn that there are other ways of, 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 of reacting to things in life. And, you know, I can remember when I was in the disease, you know, um, I was so bored all the time. I can remember going through a phase when I was about 40 of doing, <laughs> doing the colouring and drawing the dots in the kids' newspapers because I was so bored and didn't know what else to do with myself. And, um, you know, there's a lot to life, you know, I'm involved in quite a lot of stuff in life. And I, you know, one of the things that fascinates me is that, you know, as well as inside this program, outside the program, I mix with people who have got very similar values to our own. And I used to, I think I said this in a meeting the other night, I used to mix, mix with really negative, cynical people. And I don't know whether they, those people really were like that or whether I just had that effect on them. Um, but I, I think I am, you know, I don't like being around really negative people today. You know, it's just, it drags, drags down. And I don't... I don't come across those sort of people so much now. And I just I just know all that sort of stuff is, you know, is because of, of being in this program and, you know, trying to work this program and trying to live as God would have me live. And, you know, often I don't know what that is. Um, but I sure as hell know what it isn't. You know, if I'm... You know, people talk about the gates getting narrow all the time, and if I'm doing things that aren't what God would have me do, <coughs> I become very aware of them very quickly, and if I don't, somebody will point them out to me. And it doesn't actually happen all that much now, but when it does, there's that acute awareness, because I believe, because I'm used to living comfortably in this program today, you know, I'm used to not being agitated and upset, so or angry and resentful. So when those things do happen, and they do happen sometimes, you know, I'm aware of them and I can do something about them and share about them and whatever else I need to do. And you know, there's just you know, there's twelve steps there to use. And um, yeah, it's just nice not to live that rough that rough, angry, resentful life anymore. Um, and I've talked enough, so thank you very much. Thank you very much.